there were streams of people running across that six lane highway, screaming at the top of their lungs. Wow. All of a sudden, all this noise started filling my senses. And I just felt like I was watching a widescreen TV. When all of a sudden, over my right hand shoulder, uh, the second plane came right over us. In fact, my husband's done the math and realized it was 500 feet above us, but went right in front of us and it turned a little bit, um, what I call the eight o'clock and two o'clock, and went straight into the South Tower. And, you know, the shock waves from that impact actually blew us back into our apartment. On the Choose to Think podcast, I will encourage and empower you to engage and optimize your best thought life in practical, meaningful ways so that you can live day by day in joy, peace, and God's purpose despite all externals. This is Victoria, and welcome back to the Choose to Think podcast. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so delighted to be with Christina Stanton. Now, if you don't know who she is, I'm going to, I'd like to read her bio just to start out. I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised at, at what we're going to chat about, although might be a little bit more on a serious nature here. But Christina Ray Stanton is a Florida native who has lived in New York City for almost 30 years. Both Christina and her husband, Brian, have worked for Redeemer Presbyterian Church for 20 years. And I have to tell you, that's the church that Tim Keller, Dr. Keller, had. He's not the head pastor now, as I understand it, but for 20 years or so, he served as head pastor there. He is my one of my all-time favorite speakers, teachers, pastors. I listen to his sermons every night. So sorry, I could go off on my own little Timothy Keller kind of tangent, but I, I just, that's one of the things when I was reading about Christina, I saw that Kathy Keller, Tim's wife, had endorsed her book. And we're going to talk about Christina's book in a moment, but that really caught my attention. I'm like, oh, I wonder how she knows um, Tim Keller's wife. So at any rate, um, Let's see. So Christina is a licensed New York City tour guide. That's pretty cool. <laughs> who has led thousands of people on tour since 1995. In 2017, she founded a nonprofit called Loving All Nations. I'd like to talk a little bit about that too. That sounds so interesting to me, Christina. And this organization helps the world's poor and vulnerable. Christina has written two books and over 20 articles that have won awards and have been featured on TV channels and in top publications all over the world. She is a sought after speaker on the subject of 9-11 and that will be our topic for today. So Christina, thank you so much for appearing on the Choose to Think podcast. We're so happy you're here. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, I could, I just can't stop smiling here. Although I put quite, like I was telling you earlier, I put quite a bit of prayer into this, into this interview because what a subject. And we do want to remember, you know, I have adult children and I think they could all remember 9-11, at least when it happened. And we are coming upon now 20 years after the incident. And they were little, they were just little. Well, my youngest, I think was maybe around two or so. And so he may not have the recollection that his older siblings ha have, but 
we all probably can remember where we were when that occurred. And before we get your story, I also want to read what uh, perhaps it may preface your book or be on the cover or the promo for your book, which is called Out of the Shadow of 9-11, because it's very gripping just to even read this. And this is what it says. They were average New Yorkers, but in the aftermath, they became American refugees. Just stop and think about that for a moment. When the planes hit the Twin Towers, Christina Ray Stanton's life changed forever. As the new dawn of terrorism began, the Manhattan resident and her husband fearfully witnessed the impact just six blocks away from ground zero. As toxic dust spread into the air, the Stantons boarded a boat off the island and into the unknown. Think about that. When a close, with a close friend dead and their beloved dog clinging to life, the Stantons' faith in God was tested. But after months away from their home, Christina trusted in a higher purpose to claim a stronger future. And this is their story. Out of the shadow of 9-11, an inspiring tale of escape and transformation is a little told story of the far-reaching collateral damage of September 11th. As a longtime local and veteran tour guide, author Christina Ray Stanton shares an intimate journey of the harrowing event. Through her long road to physical, emotional, and spiritual recovery, you'll discover your own inspiration in tough times. You also speak of telling these, these emotionally, this having this emotionally raw perspective. And you know, that just grips us and is perhaps so relatable. Now, maybe many, some of us haven't gone through a trauma such as what you experienced, Christina, but I know that because of your hope in God and your trust in God and the way you look to him through that, and now certainly years down the road that you have an amazing story to tell. And so I invite you now, Christina, to share. You can take us back to that day if you'd like and, and maybe talk about what was happening in your mind at that time and then bring us eventually up to where you are and some of those lessons learned, if you don't mind. Thank sure. you so much. I'm going to uh, even go back even a little bit further, very briefly, just to give you some context of uh, where I'm from and when I moved, why I even moved to New York. I'm actually from Tallahassee, Florida. I was born and raised in North Florida and went to church, was baptized at age 11. But like uh, happens sometimes, I fell away from the faith starting really in college. And when I moved up to New York City in 1993, I was kind of well on my way of maybe even rethinking my faith from, from, from a very basic premise. You know, I just thought I'm in a new city, new life. I want to kind of throw away all of, all of my pre, uh, presupposed, uh, you know, just whatever I, I might have inherited down from my parents, I'm going to question all that. And I'm going to come up with my own version of life and meaning and starting afresh in this new town. I'm 23 years old. And, um, and so that started kind of like a, a my own journey into um, uh, it's like called adulting. 
But again, just kind of questioning everything that I'd ever learned or knew or grew up in, you know, was, a, was my faith part of a Christian culture that, that I had been immersed in when I was growing up? And was I okay with that? Did I actually believe that as an adult? And I'm not necessarily in a um, completely, you know, Christian environment 24 seven here in New York City. So, you know, when 9-11 when approached, I was newly married. We'd been married for about a year and a half. Um, I think I was 31 at that point. My husband was 34. And I really sporadically attended church and had pretty much fallen away long by that time. Also, yeah, I be I moved up to New York City to become a, a, a I wanted to my try my luck on the Broadway stage. Um, my day job was I was a licensed New York City tour guide. You know, if you if you come up here to to try to be an actress or actor, you 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 need a day job. Mine was to be a tour guide, and I had taken thousands of people um, to the um, to the observatory and the original World Trade Center site and. Uh, that was kind of my jam is giving walking tours of the original World Trade Center site. So, um, you know, when I got married, I just kind of felt like everything that was was going on with me kind of culminated in that marriage of like, okay, yeah, new life. I'm a tour guide, still trying to be an actress. My husband grew up Catholic, but had also, you know, fallen away from 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 that. And but everything did look kind of like new horizons in every way. And um, but but. Um, I just was looking forward to the kind of the life that my husband and I could have together, which didn't really include Christ. And it included all the things that we could have and we could partake in and that we could gain as, you know, um, as, as newlyweds, as, as climbing up that corporate ladder, as um, my husband had this fabulous job, I had all of these dreams and, and hopes and it just seemed like the sky was the limit for us. And our, our, the, the apartment that we moved into, kind of our, let's say, newlywed apartment, I'd always, when I was a single, lived in Times Square, he, he had found an apartment for us in the financial district. And he said, hey, I found this great apartment. And I was like, whoa, who lives in the financial district? That's business, that's finance, that's not really residential. I, I take tours there uh, because it's a historic um, uh, part of town and it's where the World Trade Center is. But um, when he showed me the apartment, I was like, ding, ding, yeah, I'll take this one because it had this wonderful 300 square foot terrace that overlooked the Twin Towers and it was wow. six blocks away. And to have an outdoor space in New York City is, is at a premium. It's, it's, it's not a, an, an, an obvious, a normal uh, thing to have, you know, attached to an apartment. And so I was like, this is great. I'm going to I wake up, have coffee, look at the Twin Towers every morning. I now live six blocks away from the World Trade Center where I take walking tours. This is great. I'm just a few blocks away from Battery Park where you get the ferry ride to the Statue of Liberty. Again, something I did with tourists all the time and I uh, just loved our new apartment and we were so new to it. Our stuff was still in boxes by the time of September 11th, 2001. And in that morning, my husband was up. I was actually still asleep. He came and he shook me awake and he was yelling, something's happened, something's happened, come out to the terrace, something bad has happened. And he had been working while I was asleep and the impact of the first plane hitting the North Tower actually shook our building. So he knew an earthquake had just happened, something bad had just happened. We ran out into our terrace and we saw flames coming out from either side of the North Tower and we were just completely shocked. And I was, 
you know, here I am still in pajamas, barely awake and thinking, what in the Sam Hill is this? And, you know, from 24 flights, we were on the 24th floor, we couldn't normally hear street noise. It was very quiet up there. But all of a sudden, with all the um, sirens and the ambulances, the police cars uh, streaming towards the World Trade Center, people running across, um, a there's a major highway next to us um, and next to the World Trade Center, which is called the West Side Highway. But there were streams of people running across that six lane highway, screaming at the top of their lungs. Wow. All of a sudden, all this noise started feeling my senses. And I just felt like I was watching a widescreen TV. When mm -hmm. all of a sudden, over my right hand shoulder, uh, the second plane came right over us. In fact, my husband's done the math and realized it was 500 feet above us. But went right in front of us and it turned a little bit, um, what I call the eight o'clock and two o'clock and went straight into the South Tower. And you know, the shock waves from that impact actually kind of blew us back into our apartment. And it knocked me out. I, I woke up with my, my dog, our, our little Boston Terrier, literally like jumping on my body that was on the floor. Mm -hmm. And I remember trying to, I, my, my husband was yelling different things. And one thing that I caught he was saying was, you know, do you want your shoes? We got to get out of here. And uh, I just popped up. My husband grabbed the dog. We ran down the 24 flights of stairs. And then as soon as I got outside, I realized, whoa, I'm in my pajamas with no shoes <laughs> and so we tried to go back into the apartment but our doorman was like you know we're just evacuating you can't go back in I'm sorry but you know when we went back outside I realized everybody's in all different states of dress no one cares what I'm wearing or not wearing I, I put on my husband's socks and mm -hmm. I felt okay you know we're gonna get as far away from this as possible. So for us, if we were south of the Twin Towers, far away, the farthest away we could get was Battery Park. So Manhattan, the island of Manhattan ends in a 25 acre park called Battery Park. So once we got down to Battery Park, we felt safe. We felt far enough away from the Twin Towers that, that falling bodies, falling debris wasn't going to hit us uh, from there. And uh, I remember just sitting by the water's edge and looking at the Statue of Liberty and it was such a beautiful clear day. And I, I remember thinking, if I drowned out all this noise from my ears and if I didn't turn around to see the burning towers that were looming over the park, you would think that everything was just fine with this kind of a day. It's just looking at the beautiful Statue of Liberty that I visited at least once a week with tourists. And then all of a sudden the ground began to shake. And I think we all understood at the same time that a tower is coming down and people just went crazy because what had happened was what ended up being what we all thought was a safe haven ended up trapping us because there was nowhere to go you know we, we could only run so far and if the twin towers had fallen lengthwise and in a direction that would have killed so many more people and it would have reached us in the park and we all were aware of that then all of a sudden that we're not safe at all and people just kind of went crazy. And you know, when you're when you're in that kind of situation, you just remember the panic and and on, on other people's faces and just the the um, that terrible kind of uh, look of people who think they're gonna die. And it was just you know those things are kind of etched in my brain and, until until I pass because it's you just can't unsee some of these things. And we also couldn't see the towers falling down. You gotta understand we were actually too close to the Twin Towers to see them implode. 
because what happened is it kicked up dust immediately and it almost was like a snow globe over us we couldn't see the sky we couldn't see 10 feet in front of us we couldn't see um, we were also immediately covered with that dust and debris so we were yellow we were uh we couldn't even we couldn't see anything we couldn't see out into the water we and um but we were, were aware that thousands of us were all of a sudden now kind of locked into this 25 acre park um surrounded by this dust and debris and then secondarily smoke so so this black smoke coming from the the fires it pretty much surrounded us surrounded us in that park and that's a, a point where my husband and i and again we'd been married about a year and a half at that point say goodbye to each other and we did mm -hmm. you know which was such a bizarre situation when you're that young and you're newlyweds we you'd ne we'd never seen each other in that kind of anywhere near a panicked situation and all of a sudden we're we're saying goodbye because we really thought if it gets any worse than this that means that we're we're done because it just doesn't get much worse <laughs> and so I, I remember looking at him and thinking wow you know I'm, I'm so glad that i found the love of my life before i i died but wow this is the end of the road all that for that meaning looking back on i i really did have those kind of flash flashing mm. before my eyes of what have I even done with my life? What did I even, what did, what have I done? What did I do? And um, all the things that I wanted to be like a Broadway actress and um, I, you know, just none of that did me anything at that point. It couldn't help me. It couldn't save me. It couldn't make me feel better. It couldn't. And um, you know, the thing that did matter, which I was very aware of was the relationship with God. I, I just remember thinking, well, I didn't really have any. And so what does that mean? And where am I going if I'm yeah. going somewhere? Like where, and is Brian going with me? And uh, which is really, even though I was with Brian, it was a very lonely feeling. It was a very, and I was surrounded by thousands of people going nuts in Battery Park. And so I was definitely not alone, but I felt very, very alone. It was a very, very sad uh, mm -hmm. feeling of, wow, this was such a short life. And then, you know, like how prepared was I to be in this moment at 31 years old, not prepared at all. And um, so, you know, uh, what happened was um, this famous story that you probably heard of, of the famous 9-11 boat evacuation. So the Coast Guard knew that thousands of us were, were trapped down in Battery Park. And the Coast Guard issued a CB radio call saying, hey, boat owners, boat operators in the area, go down to Battery Park and pick people up, drop, we don't care where you drop them off at, but we've got to move these people off the island. They're trapped and they're unsafe. And I do remember looking out onto the Hudson, seeing all of these boats converge. And got to understand, I'm, I'm very used to seeing boats on the water. I'm a tour guide. I do tours on boats. And I just remember thinking, wow, look at all these, look at all these boats. I've never seen so many in the harbor and in the Hudson. But they started docking and, and we got on one and that particular boat dropped us off in Jersey City. And we spent the night in New Jersey, um, that point, you know, still in pajamas, still yellow. And um, um, we got into the city the next day, but we weren't allowed, we weren't able to get back into our apartment because our apartment was 
uh, basically so close right. to the attack zone that for several reasons, about 25,000 of us were displaced for several weeks after the attacks, which is um, kind of a little known story. But anyway, um, and then it, it, you know, I felt like things kind of just stagnated uh, for us, it, things didn't get better, so to speak. Uh, our dog had licked, uh, tried to lick his fur to clean himself, you know, being all covered with dust and, and debris. And turns out there was ground up glass and wood and toxic things in that dust. Wow. And it shredded his insides and he clung to life for weeks. Uh, we took him to a vet and the vet was like, you know, he's, his esophagus is shredded and, and, you know, there's, you know, can't, it's hard to, uh, sew up an esophagus. My husband graduated from Clemson and he realized that um, one of his fraternity brothers died in the North Tower. And it just, um, again, couldn't get back to your apartment. You know, it's very discombobulating. I learned how it is to, to not have a home. It was a, it was a short-lived situation. And certainly we weren't, we weren't refugees in, in the sense of what a lot of people face around the world. But for two weeks, it, you know, it was yeah, it was, it was kind of dehumanizing. I was, I had never been in that situation before. So I think the compounding, you know, the PTSD kind of kicked up very quickly afterward. And my husband and I reacted to that in very different ways. Our bodies reacted to PTSD in very different ways. So we were at a, we were at a low point. And I'm going to talk more in, about my book, how God met us at that low point and really brought us into relationship with him through 9-11 and um, unexpectedly and surprisingly. And um, how, you know, especially since I have this, this hindsight of 20 years since this is the 20 year anniversary is looking back and seeing how God literally, you know, took us under his wing and just brought us into a relationship with him at our definitely our lowest point and how he brought us into a Christian community and how he orchestrated all of our steps in the aftermath that that led to him. And that's what my book was about, because once I gained some perspective on what a miracle God performed in bringing us to him and um, how, how transforming it was, I wanted to write it down. And as a tour guide, I tell people my testimony um, all the time. Uh, whether they're Christian or not, they, they get it. <laughs> and, uh, and nobody really ever complains. Uh, so if they're, if they're non-Christian, but, but literally it's at, at one point about 14 years after, after 9-11, I just felt the Holy Spirit say, you know, write it down for those who don't get to New York, write it down for those who, who uh, may not be able to ever take one of your tours and hear your testimony. And so that's where the book came through. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of the gist of our story. And then I even talk about it um, during the, the whole uh, the pandemic, because uh, my husband and I caught COVID and I had such a severe case, I was hospitalized twice. And I talked about in, in, in another book of how when, when I was, you know, here I am, been a Christian, you know, at this point for 19 years and walking with the Lord. And I'm quarantined at a hospital that I'd never been in. I, did, I, I didn't even know existed. And the doctor told me I had a 50% chance of survival. And I remember, you know, right, right after he left and he told me those words and I'd found out that it was COVID positive. I spent three hours writing emails, asking everybody to pray for me. And mm -hmm. I couldn't talk on the phone. I had no lung capacity. I didn't want to 
watch any TV or look at Facebook feed because there was all these sad tales about people dying of, of COVID. And I was, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was frightening, but as alone as I was in such an, uh, an isolated position, I didn't feel alone at all. I had the Holy spirit. I had, I had people praying for me right off the bat. I started a caring bridge blog and I taught daily about what God was teaching me and how grateful I was. And, you know, and that's a situation, you know, you compare and contrast that with Battery Park saying goodbye to my husband and being surrounded by, by, by people and with him. And, and I felt very alone and I was completely alone in a hospital and I didn't feel alone at all. And, and I talk a lot about how one tragedy for one thing informed the other, because I do believe I got a bad case of COVID because our immune system has been compromised due to the toxins of 9-11. And, but from the lessons I learned, you know, from 9-11, here I am almost 20 years later and facing a tragedy with a whole different, you know, a whole different resource to right. call that I right. didn't yeah, as, as you were sharing that, I, I'm taking notes, and that's one of the first things that I wrote down when you started talking about COVID was just that contrast between your experience from 9-11 and then now having gone through this COVID isolation as well. But can you talk a little bit, Christina, about lessons that God did teach you, maybe just one or two of the most powerful things that you learned as you were coming to know Christ and as you began to look to him and suddenly as he revealed himself to you in a new way, changing your heart, what, what did that look like and, and what was that road like and what actually did he teach you? Does anything stick out from there? Well, you know, um, so I have to backtrack and say the reason why we started going to church is because my best friend who I had met in a uh, show. So I had, I did have some success as an actress. I met a girl, her husband was the worship director at Redeemer Presbyterian. And she said, Christina, I was lamenting to her, I think within the first couple of weeks after 9-11 that we're unemployed now because of the attacks and we're both suffering PTSD. Our dog, we have this incredible vet bill because of our dog, blah, blah, blah. And she goes, you know, you need to go to my church. People from around the world have donated to Redeemer Presbyterian and you need to tell them about what happened to you and you need to get some money from there. So the least of your worries should be financial right now. And I was like, I don't go to your church, Michelle. I, I feel very uncomfortable with that. My husband would hate that idea. And I, you know, I, I, I have no affiliation with your church, blah, blah. And she goes, get your butt over and go ask the church. You know, you, you're a victim, you need help. And I remember thinking after the conversation was over and I was mulling, should I actually do what she said? You know, I remember thinking, am I a victim? Because, you know, I, I just so prided myself on, I got this. I got, you know, it's all in my control. In fact, uh, my best friend from high school had cross-stitched me. She's a cross-stitching person. And she cross-stitched me this thing. I still have it. And I had had it hanging. I brought it up to New York and it was hanging in my, uh, in, in my apartment. And it said, um, uh, everything that I am to be is simply up to me. And that was my mantra. Everything that I want, everything that I can get is, is, is me and, and what I can generate. And is on my strength and on my power and my willpower and my 
um, you know, nose to the grindstone. And part of in the aftermath of 9-11, what was kind of, what totally blew up was that idea. I'm like, you know, I didn't have any control over 9-11, neither did any, almost 3,000 people who died. They didn't have any control. It's, you know, whatever I am to be is, is simply not really up to me. It was up to people who <laughs> decided to attack America, uh, that's who was in you know control at that point. And so I, it really, it really busted up that idea of, of how much control I do have. And um, so when I went to the church and did ask for money, that was definitely a walk in humility as well. I'd never asked for money. I gave money to things. For the weeks that we were displaced, I went to the Salvation Army daily to get toiletries and food and clothing because you know we still had what was that what we had left on our backs. We didn't even have that because it was so filled with dust and debris that we'd actually thrown it away. Um, and you know, to 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 take the the help of strangers was difficult. And a lesson in humility and a lesson that, you know, we're in community with each other when it's time to need help, you need help. And it really impressed me also that people had donated to this church and um, that, you know, like, wow, look at this, you know, people from all over the world is giving to this church and they're, they're distributing this money. So for people like me, and so it, it took me a while to figure out that it was for people like me, I really was a victim. And I, we started going to church there and we heard this famous sermon from Tim Keller who spoke you know, after 9-11. And I'm gonna read just one little excerpt, but it had a huge okay. impact on me. Um, he said, uh, uh, so Tim Keller said, we don't know the reason that God allows evil and suffering to continue. But what we know, but we know what the reason isn't. We know what the reason can't be. It can't be that he doesn't love us. It can't be that he doesn't care. And why? Because he got involved with his son. Christianity alone tells us that God lost his son in an unjust attack. So I heard that message, you know, face to face. I was there. We went. And we, are, we went inspired by this church who had been so generous in helping us out and helping a whole bunch of New Yorkers out. And so that was one thing that I learned was, you know, like um, how much we don't have control, you know, over our lives and, um, you know, turning to and, and how to help uh, reach out to others and ask for help and the importance of community. Because as soon as we started going to Redeemer, we, we got very quickly involved in a community. We started going to Bible studies. We went to, we started uh, uh, getting involved in, in ministries and outreach programs and even went on a mission trip in uh, 2003. And, uh, and I learned that too very much and during COVID of how important community is. Because here we are 20 years later, people, you know, they're, they're sick. They are, what they, they'll call up CVS uh, you know, order groceries and medications. Well, guess what? When we got COVID, there weren't deliveries. It was completely backed up. We did actually rely on other people. We relied on people from our church because we had to. And it was another lesson. And even in this day and age, when things are at our fingertips, guess what? It's still not on our, <laughs> on our fingertips. We need each other. And when, especially in March, 2020, when we got COVID, 
there was so, so much that was unknown, even more so than there is now that, um, you know, I, I was relying on prayer in a way that I really never had just because there was nothing again to rely on. This was absolutely again, out of my control, whether, whether I lived or died. And I just was, uh, you know, again, yet again, here we are, Lord, you're in control. I'm not in control. And I, 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 I give you my sense of control. I am just here. And if it's the end of the road for me, I want to die graciously. I want to make sure there's no anger or malice or anything in my heart, you know? Um, and, um, but yeah, so those are, so those are some things I've learned along the way about the importance of being in community and the importance of the fact that we're not in control and really getting that and how, uh, and how important prayer is. Mm, that's beautiful. I love the quote that you shared also. And if there's one thing that Tim Keller does so often, he always brings the reader or the listener back to Jesus. And it's, it, it always melts our heart, right? No matter what he's saying up here, you know, and it's all so intellectual, but relatable. And then suddenly the big punch is bringing it all right back to Jesus. And it's so powerful that way. So I love that. That was a that was an amazing quote. I probably heard that sermon as well. Um, and the lessons learned, I, I did wonder if, and I don't know if not to presume for you to speak on your husband's behalf, I'm sure his journey was a little bit different, but did it share some of the aspects that your journey has, has had or that you've experienced? Did how did he actually make that switch himself? Was that something you did together or, you know, it's, there's a mystery in, in that rededication and that whole process. It's so deeply personal, but I'm just curious what that might've looked like for him. I would actually say that he turned to Christ quicker than mm -hmm. I even did. And I remember when we started going to church there, you know, I still had some of my old belief systems that I had to work through. He, however, did not. He was like, I've tried to do this on my own. I don't want to do this on my own anymore. The only mm -hmm. thing that matters is Christ. He was absolutely hook, line, and sinker. I'm ready to commit my total future to God. Mm -hmm. he, he was on a kind of a fast track with IVM. He had also worked as a hedge fund guy. You know, he... In, in, in normal situations, he was on a, he was on a, a trajectory that, that, that could end with a pot of gold, literally at the end of the rainbow. And he was like, yeah, I, I don't really care. I just really care about um, having Christ in my life. And there, not that there's anything wrong with working, certainly working for IBM or, or a hedge fund or anything like that. It's just in his, in, in, in his mind, he, he gave all of his finances all of our finances to God. And he was like, you know, whatever idol he had, he was, he was definitely willing uh, to give over right away. There were a couple of things that had to die a death with me of, of things that I quote unquote wanted. Um, uh, and, and that was, that was fine. So in some ways I had more of a process. He was actually probably two or three steps ahead of the game. Um, in, in my opinion from me. So so interesting. Um, your experience may have been a little bit more like mine. I was 
converted when I was in my 30s, my early 30s, but my heart changed, but my head wasn't so sure. And so it that propelled me into a into years really of research and study and trying to line everything up and kind of understand things and of course also have a reason for the hope and to help me prepare to speak about my own faith and why and how I came to Christ and what that really means in practical ways in the here and now. I think also, Christina, that many of the viewers, many of the listeners on the Choose to Think podcast will, like I said earlier, will remember 9-11. My own children will remember that day. And but my grand my grandchildren, not so much. They're going to be reading about that and experience experiencing that in a different way. And I wondered as we're wrapping up, what do you want people who don't have any kind of memory or recollection of that event or maybe weren't born at that moment, like my grandchildren? What do you want them to know about that experience? You know, for for I, I, as a tour guide, I tour a lot of students from around the country, like high schoolers. And it's been clear to me that a lot of them were not taught a lot about 9-11 in school. And I've done some studying of about, about what, what they are taught in school. And I understand that a lot of a lot of the, the history classes are, when it comes to 9-11, it's, it's left up to the teacher of what, what she or he wants to impart to the students. And certainly there are the important things to know that we just, we lost our innocence as a country. It started the age of terrorism. A lot of things that, that they are now used to, like going through airport securities or school securities or all, all kinds of things are a direct relationship to 9-11. And those are good things to know um, that it's still to this day, 20 years later, it is the worst act of terrorism in world history. It's not just an American soil type one, or it hasn't been usurped, you know, in the in the year since. It's it's still considered the worst act of uh, terrorism in, in world history. So so historically, in a lot of ways, it's just it's, it's it's just good to know. It's history. It's something that that deeply affected the psyche of the United States in every single way. But then um, and then there's there's things to know about the attacks themselves that again uh, are good to know. Just how um, there were so many heroes that came out of the background, um, not just the the, uh, the the rescue workers um, who, who who died in the attacks or who, who died trying to save people, but um, you know just normal civilians just really rose to the occasion and just were there for each other even to the end. Strangers who died together because they didn't want to leave each other, you know, in the buildings. And um, there's so many wonderful. Uh, heartwarming uh, uh, stories about heroes and the 9-11 boat evacuation is just a beautiful story that of um, you know man helping man that is just it's it's important to know but I think you know spiritually I just you know so, some concepts to, to to know it's just that you know we live um, in a broken world and you know I remember thinking after 9-11 like I'd, I'd, I'd heard about evil. I'd, I'd seen some evil, you know, growing up, but nothing along that level. And I remember thinking, I don't know if I want to live in a world that that has that amount of evil. 
that it, that gets that bad. I'm not even sure I'm interested in living in a world right. like that. And that was a huge thing for me to have felt that that kind of you know brokenness and evil um, manifested in this world that we're living in. But um, you know, it's just it's but it's a reminder to the younger generation that it's it's real. It is absolutely real. And even though I really hope that there's not 11 in their lifetime, there probably will be. But even if there's not, the Bible says we're going to suffer. It's just going to happen. And we all have to be prepared, you know, and, and what I would, what I always say to the younger generation is whenever you suffer, whether it's from um, God, you know, forbid, you know, a 9-11 or just, you know, just suffering that we all undergo, that they don't face that without Jesus. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. And uh, because it can get ugly and we're all going to see it, every single one of us. Um, and um, so that is just something to, um, if, if I could impart, impart that, and I've, I've tried. Right. <laughs> that, um, you know, when push comes to shove, it's going to, it's going to, it's going to fall and it's going to fall badly. And it's, it's, it's going to shake you to your core and you got to, what is your core? Right. You know, your core, like what my core was, which is. Every, everything I want to be is simply up to me because uh, that's a real shaky core that didn't get me very far, right? Yes. So what's, what's, what's your idol? Like Tim Keller talks a lot about idols. Yes. Like, what's your idol? That's when you're shaken to your core, are you going to have that to stand on? Because I tell you, it's a, it's a lonely place yeah. if, it's, if, if, if it's not built around Jesus. Right. And the only maybe good thing about it is that it does certainly provide us an opportunity to think about those things that you've mentioned and to begin questioning those. And that's a way that we see God's goodness and his, what we think and what truly is suffering, that experience, that personal tragedy and trauma often can be the very avenue that leads us to the truth and God is there waiting. So it, it's kind of a, so bittersweet as we look at it that way. I, I want to also just chat briefly about loving all nations, your organization. It's so easy to see from your transparency and, and your authenticity, Christina, that you God is working so greatly in your life and that he's equipped you with a, an audience really. And this mission that he's given you to speak of his goodness and to share your story because stories are compelling and stories grip our hearts and stories are relatable. And, and he's so gifted you in that. And I look at all that you're doing and writing and testifying and your testimony. And it's just a beautiful picture of God's redemptive work in your life and your allowance to, to open up and permit him to do his work through you and certainly to serve others. And the lessons that you learned are have not been wasted you're sharing them with so many people and that's just beautiful and yeah that's just that's beautiful and I also know that when you're on a mission that nothing kind of stops you from that because God has called you to that and it's a happy place to be off and not that it's not it doesn't have its moments and it's difficult and difficulties and obstacles and so forth but it's that fire in our souls that that burns and it's 
a pleasure to to work or to our work is our worship it's such a pleasure to do those things so and I, I can see that in you I can see that fire that you have but I'm assuming also that all of this wrapped up has somehow generated this desire to create this organization loving all nations and just talk talk about that a little bit tell, tell us what that's about where loving all nations came in is I loved our mission trip that I mentioned earlier to Peru in 2003 and our our church had a very small missions program and we had we uh, Redeemer Presbyterian is a very large church so I asked if I could be the director and 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 take it over and grow the program and I was told I could and once we started um, taking Redeemer rights on mission trips we went all over the world. I started seeing different types of suffering, right? Mm. Um, my, I just loved the, the the country of South Africa, and yes, there's great poverty there. But I, I also have to say, there's also great joy, and I really just just saw Christ being worshipped in such a new and joyful way that it just took my breath away. And so that's one of the reasons why I fell in love with the country is because I saw Jesus worshiped in a way that was so, so very alive. But I, I have to say, I also saw, you know, poverty um, that I don't, I don't see every, every single day. And, and just different, again, different types of suffering. Um, and, you know, and I, I had gained such a, a love for, for people in need, uh, just from my own experience after 9-11. And when we would come back from our mission trips, I know that the, the teammates wanted to help alleviate that suffering as well. And there wasn't always an easy way to give to Christian organizations and orphan, Christian, organiz, uh, Christian orphanages and churches mm -hmm. and things like that. They were trying so hard to meet people at their time of need and alleviate suffering. And so I initially started Loving All Nations with my husband to, um, to have a, an, an, another venue for, uh, in which people can help. Um, with, with what we were seeing on our mission trips, but it's morphed since then. And it's morphed to countries that are undergoing a natural disaster. So for instance, last year, we were very active at Loving All Nations because um, uh, uh, poor communities fell harder into poverty um, due to the pandemic. And so we held a lot of fundraisers to, um, to help these communities address um, really food insecurity and um, uh, people who are newly out of work and, and already kind of tenuous work conditions uh, as it was. So I, I'm just so glad that we can, um, in a very pure firm, we, we take no overhead. It's just pure, pure money going to the people who oversee the community and, and, and help provide help to their, their communities. And we have these wonderful partners uh, and all these, and a lot of different countries who who really have their their finger on the their pulse on the community and and know where the need is, and they're they're pointing to Jesus Christ at the same time. So so it really was born out of of uh, missions and wanting to expand what what the missions department does at Redeemer, but but I guess to to go even further back, it really came from 9/11, and it came from. Um, you know, just knowing that when you've when you've gone through your your own fiery trials and and, and, and know that uh, you know coming out the other side that God is true to what He says and true to His word, 
you want to help others through their own trials as well. And I mean, you're given a gift, really. You're, you're, you're given the opportunity to usher people into the saving power and grace that God offers, which a lot of people find that, as you said, when it's their time, when they come to, to a time of suffering. Uh, when you really are at the end of your rope and you find out that God is all you need. You know, I just, I, I want to point to Christ as other people did for me um, when others are going through suffering, because that's exactly what happened. Redeemer met me at my lowest point, pointed to Christ. And that's how, you know, and then our, our uh, my, my relationship with Christ, you know, it was, was forever changed through that experience. And I just want to be the same kind of beacon of, of light and pointing to Christ as it had been done to me when I was suffering. Well, indeed you are. That's for sure. I love that. I'm going to, I have not researched that loving all nations, but I'm assuming that there's a website or that we can visit. And can you also um, tell us that website and tell our listeners how we might, our viewers, how we might reach you? How can we contact you? So uh, my livingallnations.org is the Living All Nations site. And I, um, I talk a lot about um, my um, my transformation, and I'm going to be talking a lot about the 20th anniversary on my website. So that's ChristinaRayStanton.com. So I, I update it almost daily with um, um, just uh, different different articles that I've written that have that have come out. That uh, I do have a lot of articles coming out in September, and they all have different themes and um, about how how God uh, basically met us and ways that we can reach out to others and ways uh, things that I've learned and um, through through my COVID battle and my 9/11 battle and and just through those those twin tragedies. So. Um, yeah, just so ChristinaRayStanton.com. And I'm also on Facebook. I, uh, Christina Ray Stanton books, but, um, yeah, I, I, I'd love, you, you know, again, like I, I don't wish people to go through suffering, but what the Bible promises is that he's going to be with us in the suffering and he's going to comfort us and he's going to, to, uh, we're not walking that alone. He's a wonderful resource of, of um, comfort and strength. And, um, but he is the Alpha and Omega as well. I mean, we need to run to him, even, in, of course, in good times. But again, um, since I came to, to Christ in, in a time of suffering, I, I do have a propensity to, to, to want anybody else who's suffering. And haven't we all suffered a lot? You know, this past year, two years, a lot of people have, have had deaths in the family and sicknesses and fear. And if there was ever a time of, of comfort and, and, and uh, to turn to Jesus, I mean, it's now. Yes, that's a wonderful message, a beautiful way to end our interview also. So thank you so much for sharing who you are, your life, what you've learned, the lessons, and this beautiful picture that you've painted of hope and comfort and the fact that we're not alone. We're never alone. We want to watch our thoughts on that though, because often I can sometimes even tell myself, oh, you're all alone, Victoria, or something like that, when that's just a lie. It's not true. And so we have to reframe some of those thoughts, but what an encouraging and inspiring message that you have shared, Christina, and we really appreciate you and we wish you just the the best on all your future endeavors. So may God mm-hmm. abundantly bless you as you continue to shine the light. Thanks Thank for you so much. Yeah, you bet. 
And that's a wrap, Brain Changer. Thank you so much for tuning in. And say, if you like what you hear, please consider sharing this link to the show with a friend or a family member who you think might be encouraged by the inspiring and hope-filled messages that I try to put out every single week. So thank you so much for your support. And until next time, Dios primero y que Dios te bendiga. Chao.